Hey guys, it's an absolute privilege to be preaching to you guys tonight. Um, Dylan, we chatted about this about uh, probably like two months ago. And I, were you guys doing a series on healing, was that it? Because he was, I think at the time he was filling me in, you guys were doing a bit of a, a series. And uh, back then I said, what, do you, what would you like me to preach on? And he, he said, well, let's just talk about that when we get there. So uh, I, didn't, I didn't want to stand up today. Because often when, when you guys come to church, you don't have some sort of bullets in the week before saying the, pro, the pastor's going to be preaching on X, Y, Z. Often you just rock up here and you're like, this guy could be preaching on like Melchizedek today or the temple or aliens or it could be anything. So, so as, as, as a bit of a, a newbie coming in here, I wanted to tell you what I'm preaching on and why. And um, my, my wife says that I often uh, like to beat the same drum, but it's, it's certain truths that have just really impacted my life, and I, I don't know if you guys have personally had in your Christian walk, like certain truths, it might just be God as a father, it might be that simple, that so impacted you that almost anyone here is out of you, and something for me has just been what it means to be in Christ. I felt for my faith was an absolute lens change. When I realized that a Christian isn't just someone who's trying their best to imitate Jesus and then hopefully pass the final exam. Because I, I grew up in a, a Christian home. My dad was a pastor. So I was in church every Sunday. And I think somehow I, I officially might have told you like the right answers, you know, about like what a Christian is. But functionally, how I was living I was living from a place of, no, no, a Christian is one who's just, you're, pic, picture Jesus in Galilee back in the day, that I kind of saw myself as there on the back of the crowd, I've got my clipboard, I've got my pen out, taking my notes, and I'm trying my best to just keep up with him, with this awareness the whole time that he's so much more perfect than I am, and there was this almost distance, and it was probably only in the last few years that God brought this truth home to me of, no, no, a Christian primarily is not someone who's just trying their best to imitate Jesus. Because if salvation was through imitation, how many of you would pass? None. Salvation is through being in Christ. He's the champion. It's like when David defeated the Philistines. David was the one who won against Goliath. And all those cowering, weak Israelites behind him, suddenly their chests came out and they came storming down the enemies. They had nothing to do with that victory. David was the champion. In the same way in the Christian faith, there's one champion. There's one perfect student, so to speak. And I think one of my desires tonight is just, if there's any lies we've believed about our identity in Christ as a as a Christian, I want God to just take those, those weights off tonight. Take off just a yoke. If, if your Christianity feels like a heavy thing, and that you forever feel like you're falling short, I would argue that you, you're not seeing it correctly yet. You're still trying to be your own savior and champion. Amen. So, um, I wanted to start off just with a, a quote that so impacted me. And we, we won't have it up on the board, but I'll read it for you. It's by a guy called John Owen. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. 
you've got Dylan as your pastor, who's like the biggest bookworm, and like, he's basically a scholar from like the 13th century, <laughs> now in the 21st century. <laughs> so, I won't be surprised if you've heard some of these names, but John Owen was around in the 1600s, and he said these words. He said, our great hindrance is not lack of effort, but unacquaintedness with our privileges. He says, most of the time in our Christian walk, it's not necessarily a lack of effort that's your problem. But it's a lack of being acquainted with being familiar with your privileges in Christ. And he goes on to say this. He says, what's wrong with some Christians today is that they're far too uptight about the Christian life. Far too worried about doing their duty. Far too focused on what they ought to be and ought to do. They ask far too often, what can I do to please God? But what they need to do is relax and simply believe God. What God has done provides the basis for what we do. Someone's probably sanitized those words and made them 21st century. I don't think he would have spoken like that. But the message comes through. And you see this all throughout the New Testament. You see this phrase, do you not know? All over the show. Do you not know? Which implies, what does that imply? There's something you need to know. And often what was interesting is Paul might be counseling a church on gross misconduct or ethical issues or adultery or those things. And he wouldn't answer it with, Let's just change your behavior. How would he answer it often? Do you not know that he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him? Do you not know that your body is not your own? You belong to Christ. That's a fa- don't you think that's a fascinating way of counseling? I mean, take yourself out of your normal Christian mindset because you're very familiar with those scriptures. But that's kind of, that feels, in the world's eyes, they'd say, no, 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 we need like, Moral reform. But he would say, no, no, it's not your doing that you start with. It's who you are. Do you not know this about yourself? And that's what I'm hoping to kind of put our eyes on tonight. So let's, let's just start with, you can please get your Bible out if, you, if you've got it with you, or your phone. Um, we'll be looking at a few scriptures, so... So essentially, I want to speak about maybe three, three points tonight. I don't want to overload us. What is man's core problem? And most of us assume we know what it is. We'll often summarize it as man just needs forgiveness of sins. That's often how the gospel sometimes gets, it gets reduced to that. But we'll look at really what is man's core problem. Secondly, what is the true power behind conversion? So do we actually know if you are a Christian, just like I was sharing about my story, I, there were certain things I did not know about myself, and I would keep getting tripped up. I would keep getting tripped up. I'd feel like I'm supposed to serve God, but I didn't have any I want to serve God inside of me. It just felt like a chore, and it felt like I'm forever one step forward, two steps back. Anyone relate to that in seasons of your life? And then someone will say, no, no, but you're, you're an overcomer. You're a conqueror, and you're like, hold on, brother. I don't feel like an overcomer or more than a conqueror half the time. So God wants that for us. And then the third point, I think we'll, we'll just look at 
how do I actually, it's a basic question, how do I know that I'm in Christ? <laughs> if it's so important to be in Him, I, I spoke with a guy the other day, and we did this whole study. He got all of it, but at the end, he just caught me off guard. He just said, but I don't know that I'm in Christ. He was just so nervous. For the first time, he realized there's only two people, basically, that have ever lived that count. Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Do you know, on that final day when you stand before God, God's either going to deal with you through Adam and he's going to find you in your sins. Jesus said that in John 8, if you want to make a note, he's speaking to the unbelieving Jews. And it's a fascinating passage, but he says, you guys do not know me. I mean, he often said, you don't know me. But he said, if you do not believe in me, you will die in your sins. That's almost a definition. To be outside of Christ is almost to be found, it's almost to be found like before a judge without a lawyer. If I had to think of an analogy, you're going to stand before God with no, your only representative is Adam. Makes sense. So you need Christ. Not just as a means to an end, but as almost the end itself. Amen. So let's just start off quick. What is, what is man's core problem? Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Rod can just pop some of these up on the board. And I think this is one of the most crushing statements. Paul's specifically speaking here to the Ephesian church about Jews and Gentiles and how God has now brought them together. But look at this line he says here. It says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, but look at this, having no hope and without God in the world. You ever dwelt on those words? If you see with someone outside here, they don't just need to be invited to church. They need to be brought to God. They are without God in the world and without hope. Keep that in mind tonight. What is true then of you if you sit here tonight as a believer? You are with God and with hope in the world. Hey? Isn't that good news? There is no second of any day of your whole life that you're without God now and without hope. No second. Every second of every day, God is dealing with you now through a new covenant head, and his name is Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, forevermore. And you need to know that. I, I remember reading this so many times, and then one day I suddenly saw those words, and I thought of every person I maybe work with, or I see in the streets, or I go to gym with, and they're without God, and without hope in the world. And have you guys maybe been a Christian so long that you might have actually lost sight of what those words mean? Can you still with sober judgment look at yourself tonight and not be deceived by your good works and all those things? Look at yourself with sober judgment and say, God forbid that I ever forget that outside of Christ, I would be right now hopeless and without God. I think that's one of the most appropriate definitions you can have of hell one day, is to be without God. 
C.S. Lewis said, I actually, my wife is a huge C.S. Lewis, well, a lot of people are actually a, a huge C.S. Lewis fan. Any others here? Yeah, there are always a few. So she's been telling me for ages, you've got to read Mere Christianity, which I'm slowly getting through, and The Great Divorce. And he wrote The Great Divorce about, about heaven and hell, but it's, he writes it almost from a, a fiction kind of view. It's just, he's just hypothesizing. But he has this notion in there where he says, hell truly is not just some abstract place that God sends these good people to one day, and he's an unfair God. He says hell is simply God withdrawing himself from man. He doesn't have to do anything else. For you, sitting right here, you might be sitting in church tonight. If God withdrew himself from you, even in the first place, if he never said, Shantz, I loved you first, and I've called you out of darkness and light. If he never did that, right now, you would be experiencing hell. And if God left you in that state for all eternity, what would happen to your lusts without the, without the grace of God? What would happen to your greed? What would happen to your selfish ambition? C.S. Lewis says if God just leaves man in that state, there's nothing else he has to do. Do you get what I'm saying? So part of salvation is not just God taking us and putting us in a sense a new country. I mean, I'll use that analogy later. But he literally has to change something in you. But I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Is that making sense? So without God and without hope in the world, I wanted, wanted you to see the weight of those words. And if, if you've got your Bible open, you'll see a few verses earlier, very famous passage in, in Ephesians 2 verse 3, those first three verses there, Paul kind of takes the sledgehammer and says, don't, don't you forget who you were. You were by nature children of wrath. You were following the prince of the power of the air. You were, you were totally outside of Christ. And all, no exception, like the rest of mankind, that's where you were. So do you see that one of the problems here is I want to broaden our picture of what salvation conversion is. That for someone to get saved, we are not just hoping they walk into this hall and respond to maybe putting their hand up and saying verbatim, repeating a prayer, and then you start inviting them to a home group and they get involved. That might be happening on the outside, but you realize what's happening under the hood. God is literally taking someone who's an enemy of his. All of you, you would have never bowed the knee to Jesus Christ if the grace of God had not worked upon your heart. Guaranteed. You can tell me whatever you want. You can tell me you're a nice person. You can tell me no chance. If God had not looked at your heart and said, let there be light, and light shines into the darkness, there's no Christian. Have you realized that? You have to see that. Otherwise, you're just going to see yourself as a church attendee. You are a miracle tonight. If you lose sight of that, Christianity starts, I don't know what the words would be, but you, it becomes natural, Christianity. And the last thing when you read Scripture and you listen to Jesus and you listen to Paul and them, the last thing they viewed Christianity as was a natural thing. It kind of just makes sense. It's like signing up for the bowls club. Sign the T's and C's. Sign up for a sports club. 
He says, no, this is, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. What does that tell you about what we need to become? We need to become part of a whole new humanity, a new creation. And what's heaven going to be one day? A new heavens and a new earth. So when someone becomes a Christian, they, not in their entirety, but in the first, you could say the first fruits of the harvest, that's the language we use, are experiencing already heaven. One day when he returns, we're going to experience it in its fullness. But right now, by the Spirit, you're already experiencing intimacy with Christ. One day you'll see him face to face and you'll be like him. But right now, we already have entered eternal life. Any amens? Amen. Have I given you enough bad news yet, or must I give one more maybe? Um, I'm just trying to break over familiarity, because I know myself, I get over familiar with, with all the blessings I have in Christ. Maybe just one last one, you can turn there, Romans 5 verse 18, uh, which, is a, which is a very pivotal scripture for understanding these two representatives for mankind, Adam and Christ. Paul says, he says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so too by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Again, he's saying there, if you are in Adam... You're literally, you could say to me, that's quite unfair, James, <laughs> that you're constituted, you're, what's another word, not constituted, you're regarded as a guilty sinner because of what Adam did. But I would tell you, if you reject that as being true, then you're going to have to reject the gospel too. Because if you had nothing to do with Adam's sin, what did you have to do with Christ's death and resurrection on the cross? Nothing. What did you guys have to do with the Springboks when they won the Rugby World Cup? Did you help them win? Did you celebrate? Yes. yes. Why? Because you were in South Africa. You were a South African. So just in the same way, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, if you realize that, does something that you can claim no credit for. You had nothing to do with it. And it's reckoned to your account as if you were there and you did it. Have you thought of that? Jesus condemned by sin that was never his own. It's an alien thing to him. He's condemned by sin that had nothing to do with him. And the reverse is, you're accepted by a righteousness that has nothing to do with you. It's alien. That's the words theologians use. It's got, it comes from outside of you. Is that good news? He's condemned by sin. He's made to be sin on our behalf. And that sin, was he deserving of that sin? No. And in the same way, we are accepted and justified 
by his righteousness that we had nothing to do with. Gabe, is that good news, bro? T-Dog? <laughs> He's hiding behind his mask. <laughs> so you can maybe just flip over one page if you, if you had your Bible open there. Go to Romans 6, verse 11. And look what Paul says here. I'm going to, uh, I think I've painted the black sky dark enough, and I want to introduce the stars into the black sky. I want to introduce the light, the good news. So he says here, so you also, he's writing to believers here, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God and Christ Jesus. He's not saying, so you too must pretend to be or fake it till you make it. He's saying, it's true. So the sooner you start believing that, the better it's going to go with you. And for many of us, when you gave your life to Christ, you might have had the little mustard seed of faith that you heard this message about Jesus. You knew none of the big words of the Bible. You flicked that little mustard seed at the cross, and boom, there was a new creation, and there was a Christian. But from that moment on, what has kind of been, what, what has been your, in a sense, responsibility as a Christian? Is to become what you already are. It's the same as if you ever had a teen, well, who's had a teenager in their house? Well, have you got teenagers right there? Maybe teens. What happens if you say to someone, stop acting like a child? You're not a child anymore, you're out. Are you telling them if they behave like that, they literally become a child again? No. You're saying you're not a child anymore, so stop acting that way. And in the same way the New Testament would say to Christians, you're in Christ, so act that way. You're acting that way doesn't make you what you are. Makes sense. So the sooner you actually change your mindset and say, hold on, I'm not in the world anymore. I'm not a slave to sin. My hope is in heaven. The minute you change and adjust that, you're actually going to start taking steps, I think, in victory and freedom. Is this hitting home for anyone? There you go. Hmm. So I want to I just look at that question. Well, I, I actually want to give you a few examples of what it means to be in Christ. Do you think all Christians are in Christ? No, I mean, I mean, do you think all genuine Christians are in Christ? Who? You say no? Do you realize they're mutually exclusive? You're either an Adam. Can you be in South Africa and England at the same time? No. These are different realms. You're either an Adam or you're in Christ. So to be a Christian in the New Testament, you could say is synonymous with the words of you've been joined to Christ. That's what you are. Amen. Do all Christians every day live by the Spirit and in Christ? No. And that's the journey we're on. We're learning each day to live in alignment with what I actually am. 
So when you're counseling someone and you're having a coffee and this person's dealing with some sort of sin, you're actually setting them up for failure if you don't remind them about who they are. You're putting the cart before the horse. You're saying, change your behavior, and then you'll be accepted back into the brethren as a good Christian. You need to say to them, hold on, buddy. Do you not know? What do you know? I want to, what do you know? I've done that with people before. I've said, okay, I had one boy at, um, he, he, was a, he was a junior youth leader at Sunningdale. Strapping young lad. Uh, he was head boy, all these things. Had so much going for him. Had about five different youth leaders trying to get this guy out of sin, um, out of pornography. He's about 18 years old, and they're like, they're all tapped out. They're like, we're out. James, try your best. We've tried everything. We've installed every bit of software on his phone. We've clapped him. We've done it. We've, there's nothing else we can do. His mom's tried to ground him. I sit with him, and what do you think I asked him? I said, what do you know? He's like, huh? He's like, aren't you going to clap me? I'm like, no. I said, why is the gospel good news? If you're a Christian, why is it good news? And his answer was, firstly, he thought that was the most foreign question he's heard in his whole life. He's like, good news? He said, well, I mean, I've got better friendship groups. Uh, and like, I've got maybe better priorities in life. And I said, that's pathetic. That's like telling a moth who's by a light bulb to say, stop going to that light bulb, but you're putting no greater light next to it. You're saying, stop it, stop it, but there's one light there. What you need to do is make the good news so good that it's this massive orb right next to you. That's how people change. So I did that with him, and I said, Boyke, you're coming to our Bible study. He's like, nah. He's like, didn't know how to read the Bible, all these things. He came for about seven, eight months. I, 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 don't know if, I don't know what happened under the hood there. Something happened. He said to me after about seven, eight months, he said, James, I haven't looked at pornography in seven months, and I didn't even realize it. And about two months into that Bible study, he said, for the first time in my life, I'm realizing the gospel's good news and not good advice. He says, I never even wanted to evangelize or share the gospel, because I thought, if I'm struggling so much under it, why would I tell others? How shocking is that? He said, why would I invite people into something that I'm struggling to carry the weight of? So that was uh, remarkable. I was gobsmacked. So that's why I'm saying to you tonight, you might say, James, my problem is this sin, or is that, or Maybe you've got like a respectable sin. Maybe you've got a very disrespectable sin that's blatant and I don't care what it is. I'm almost going to direct you and say, what do you know? Who are you? When you wake up in the morning, what do you believe about yourself? I want us to ask ourselves that tonight. What do you believe about yourself? What is your mindset and your identity about who you are? Do you feel like you're forever falling short in God's eyes? And that you're at the back of the crowd with your clipboard, trying to get your notes, trying to keep up with Jesus, and feeling like you're falling horribly short? Does anyone ever feel like that? Don't even have to put your hand up. Yeah, Ross's. Because I, I 
I pray for you as I pray for myself. I pray God lifts that burden off. The gospel, Jesus has done too much for us, for us to be living under a yoke of slavery and heaviness. Hey? He's done too much for us. You do not want to get to heaven one day. And he says, why didn't you believe my gospel? And you said, no, it sounded too good to be true. So I just thought I'd complete the transaction myself. I'd throw in a bit of my, my works and my obedience and my devotion just to make sure. You never know. And he's going to say, uh-uh. you believe me to be a hard man. I'm not a hard man. If God, it says in Romans 8.32, if God did not spare even his own son, how much more will he not give us all things? And he's saying that to us tonight, how much more? And, and I, I haven't arrived there. I, I might be the one with the mic tonight preaching. I'm not saying I've arrived at this perfect, ask my wife. Well, don't actually. <laughs> don't say anything. <laughs> No, I don't live daily from a perfect place of identity in Christ where it's this perfect, it's not I who living, but Christ who lives in me. I'm not living like that every day, but I'm forever trying to make a line, forever trying to align. So I just want to, I just want to encourage us at the end now, go to 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2. This might seem... Do you guys ever skip the introductions to some epistles? You know when they're like grace and peace to you? You're probably guilty. You're probably often like skipping those sections. I want to take you to one of those sections. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2. Look what Paul says here. Was the Corinthian church perfect Christians? Did Paul go on in this letter to deal with certain things, issues? Yes. How does he start off? To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, set apart, it's the word, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Look at that. To the whole church in Corinth, the genuine believers there that are, is those who are set apart in Christ. Called to be saints. And there's another section, you don't have to look at it, but it's, there's many examples of this. Paul would say in Romans 16, he, he's ending off the letter and he says, I don't know what their names would be. Let's say their names are like, to Ross and Margot from Weinberg, who were in Christ before me. That's how he identifies them. He says, at one point I wasn't in Christ, they were in Christ. That's his identity statement for a Christian. So that, that encourages us. That if you're saying to me tonight, okay, James, I get you. Like, this is a big deal. If there's, just like Sean said, a very important word. If you've got this anchor that you're trying the whole time, just latch onto something, just ground yourself somewhere, and that thing's just dragging, this is where you can insert your anchor. Take that anchor of yours and say, no longer am I going to put my eyes on myself, because that's death. There, there's no more than conquering in, when your eyes are on yourself. Amen? When the spotlight's on you, uh-uh. Your, your Christian witness, your joy, everything's going downhill. 
What happens when you put the spotlight on him? What do you feel? You feel freeness. You feel, you ever come to church feeling really dirty? I, I, don't, mean, I don't mean physically. I, just, I mean, maybe you came physically dirty. Have you ever come feeling spiritually dirty? Like, God, you can't even look at me right now. I'm unworthy. And have you experienced that thing where God says, maybe he said to you, why are you being such a fool? When were you ever accepted because you're worthy? And you go, oh, I've heard that before. I'm like, oh, what? Hold on. Yeah, that's true. And the whole spotlight comes off me, and I put it on him, and the arms are back up, the chest is out. Have you had that? And you're like, praise God for the good news. Because if that's not true, then all of us Christians should be the most miserable creatures walking around the earth. Yeah. And if we're miserable Christians, we're not a good witness to the world. Amen? The world needs to see Christians who are overcome by the blood of the Lamb, and they love not their lives even unto death, and laugh at the days ahead of them, because our champion has delivered the victory. We have to have that. You've got to be rooted and grounded in that. Otherwise, otherwise what Satan will do to us is he'll actually tie you up in knots, Often not in your sin, because sin can seem blatant. It's obvious. So often you know sin is sin. What he'll tie you up in is religion. And he'll even tie you up in Bible verses. You ever had that? There are people sitting here tonight, as I've been preaching, that you've maybe been so programmed to think, no, no, I must just be a good follower. I must follow. I must be a disciple. I must love not my life. I must. And you've so programmed yourself to measure your success, almost as a Christian, by the level of your obedience and your devotion. And that is literally like this. That's, the anchor can't latch anywhere. You're trying to latch that anchor in your performance. It's not going to work. Because you're not the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, are you? No. Half the time, we're like emotionally schizophrenic, up and down. One day, we're waking up reminding ourselves that we're still a Christian. Sometimes it's that hard, but Jesus is the one you anchor yourself and you say, I'm joined to him. I'm in him. Why don't we just close our eyes quick? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even finished. We're just closing our eyes to just meditate quick. I don't want to rush. While you're sitting there, keep, keep, keep your eyes closed if, if that helps you to focus. But what I'd love to do is I, I have a, a printout here. I can send it to Dylan if you guys want. And I, I just made for my own self each day a list to see who I was in Adam and now who I am in Christ. And I, I'd love to read out a few of these for you if that's fine.
just to renew our minds. So in Adam, you were dead, and in Christ, you are now alive. In Adam, you were a slave of sin, and in Christ, you're now a slave of God. In Adam, you were under the dominion and the power of Satan, and now in Christ, you're under the dominion and power of God. In Adam, you were under the law, and now in Christ, you're under grace. In Adam, you were without hope in this world, and now in Christ, you possess an eternal hope. In Adam, you were unrighteous by birth, and now in Christ, you're righteous by new birth. In Adam, you were continually being corrupted by sin, and now in Christ, you are continually being transformed from one degree of glory to another. In Adam, you were condemned. In Christ, you are justified and righteous. In Adam, you were a lover of self and pleasure, and now in Christ, you're called to be a lover of God. How's this one? In Adam, you were all slaves to the fear of death, and now in Christ, you're eagerly waiting. Jesus is appearing. Hallelujah. In Adam, you were slaves to the fear of death. And now in Christ, you're eagerly, expectantly waiting with no fear for Jesus is appearing. In Adam, you were not known by God. And now in Christ, you are known by him. In Adam, you had a heart of stone, and now in Christ, you have a tender heart of flesh. In Adam, you existed only in the realm of the flesh, and now in Christ, you exist in the realm of the Spirit. In Adam, you were excluded and rejected from God's covenant, and now in Christ, you've been adopted by God as sons and daughters. In Adam, you were enemies of God, and now in Christ, you're friends of God. In Adam, you were blinded by the devil from seeing Jesus, and now in Christ, God's light has shone in your hearts to show you the Lord Jesus Christ. And the list could go on and on and on. I've only read a few. Does that feed your soul? Do you see why it's so important? I have read that stuff and probably uh, taught that stuff on a smaller scale, I don't know, like 20 times. And every single time I, I listen to that, I'm like, I need to hear that. <laughs> so as a Christian, we're not necessarily here gathering every week trying to hear, find something new. <laughs> you're basically rocking up and you need to, you like, tell me that same thing again. Tell me. Tell me, tell me God is faithful. I've heard it a thousand times. Just tell me again. Tell me why he's faithful. Okay, tell me Jesus died on the cross. What happened there? Tell me. We're refixing our eyes on truth over and over and over 